Welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher, author, and life coach. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. On this podcast, we read your letters, give you advice, and help you heal without shame. Before we get into this week's episode, I have a really exciting announcement. I wrote a book. It's called Unbroken, The Trauma Response is Never Wrong, and it is available for pre-order right now. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of your indie bookstores, wherever you buy books. It's about trauma, the trauma response, shame, and how to heal. I can't wait for you to read it, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hello, and welcome to The Trauma Tapes. Hi, Lisa. Hi. How are you doing? How's it going? Um, It's going well. It's uh, (laughs) it's, it's going, right? (laughs) I know. <laughs> Today in Boston, it is uh, 51 <laughs> degrees and sunny. Oh, which it's is like nice. 40 and raining here. Is it really? Mm-hmm. You guys have Again. a ton of rain, right? Or LA it's, or? Oh, here too. Yeah, for sure. The whole, I mean, all of California has gotten absolutely like just blasted with rain for exactly. since it's been like five and a half months of rain like and it's funny there's stuff like on tiktok and people are like joking about like californians being like super outraged that like it's not sunny one day which is totally fair and hilarious and it's no joke been raining for like five and a half months is it, it that is, all day yeah. like miserable rain like yeah monsoon level mountains are falling down streets are getting flooded like oh there's God. this little creek in town that keeps flooding it's it's like a problem but there's no more drought because everything has gotten sufficiently so, watered yeah <laughs> wow so so it's a good thing um especially for like fire season but it's a downer it's depressing especially because so many people live like the way that you live in california is that like part of your life is always outside Right. And so like people's homes are different and like, you know, and then when you can't spend six months outside, it's like, right. That's major. You know, it is major. I always like whenever I see like real estateers, you know, in California, like they're, they've invested so much in the outdoor spaces and they like like furniture outside that I'm like, wow, that that wouldn't work here. Like that would be like destroyed. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I get it. I get it. And there's like those Eichler houses. Yeah with the like there's courtyards and like part of your like space is outside you know right right but it's it's interesting how much that that like impacts your mood you know and it makes sense because it's your circadian rhythms and stuff that get all borked yeah we had this um (laughs) i don't know if you were aware of it but there was like two days this week or a day and a half where the apple weather app wasn't working oh yeah same like Send yeah. me into like panic mode, you know. <laughs> what do I wear? Oh my god! But I'm like, why don't you just go outside, asshole, and like figure out what I the know. weather is? Like, why do you have to look at your phone? <laughs> You're standing like two feet from the door, like refreshing the thing. And you're like, I'm like, no, it's not working. Now right. what do I do? <laughs> Which layers do I put on? I don't know. It was like it was so frustrating, <laughs> but so stupid at the same time. You know, that's so funny. Yeah. Or like turn on the TV and find a weather man, you know, like, right. like do it like old school. Right, right. <laughs> Open your computer, Google it. Okay. We have a letter this week. Are you ready? Want to just jump in? Sure. Okay. okay. I just listened to your most recent episode about a letter writer who felt like they could not share their trauma. And I feel like I have a similar situation to the previous writer 
and that I feel alone and like I can't talk about it with people who could possibly empathize. I was molested by two family members when I was about five or six. I suppressed all of these memories until I moved out of my childhood home. I spoke to both family members and forgave them. I struggled with bulimia in my early 20s, and I think that is related to the resurfacing of these memories. I overcame my eating disorder, and I also repressed the memories again until about six years after that. I have worked through a lot of my other trauma, divorce due to consistent coercive sexual encounters, and one repressed incidents of rape where I disassociated during assault and then remembered that memory nine months later but I can't seem to fully move through my feelings from my childhood traumas. I can't tell my parents or other family members what happened. It would ruin them. And I believe that their response would not be beneficial for me. I maintain typical adult sibling relationships with my siblings. And for me, it's gotten harder to be with them, to see them and interact with them. For example, I just visited my family a few days ago. I live several hours, a several hour drive away from all members of my family of origin. I had a very emotional day the day after we left. I was very irritable with my children, lost patience when I usually wouldn't, and then I took a break and could barely wake up mid-evening to help put them to bed. My husband knows all the details of my trauma. I'm so grateful to him when I'm having a night like I did that night. It was an energy crash, like what I experienced when I was focusing on this and my divorce related to trauma and EMDR. All this to say, what options do I have? I don't want to maintain the status quo with my family, but I don't know what to change or how to change it. I'm in counseling and doing EMDR. I have great friends and chosen family in the city where I live, but I don't know how to engage with my family in a way that is safe and healthy for me. Let's talk about narrative. (laughs) I want to talk about memory too, because like I, this has been on my mind a lot this week and I, you know, I keep I need some clarity. Okay. So um, let's talk about memory kind of in general, separate from the letter writer, and then we can come back to her experience and her memory. So I think it's important to flag how memory is one of the things that is the hardest to understand in neuroscience because there's not a real way to access it in, in the way that we access other things. So for example, if you want to see what someone looks like when they're panicked, you can give them a panic you know, stimuli and then have them go in the fMRI machine and you can look at blood flow and how it shifts in the brain. Memory, we know that there's an area or there's certain areas that are more prevalent in memory, but there's a lot about memory we don't yet know. Okay. And so I think sometimes people talk about memory as if we have like facts and knowledge about how this stuff works. And what we have is hypothesis. And a lot of it comes from like the 1800s. Okay. And so as technology updates, we might get a lot more knowledge about how memory works, but um, a lot of it is confusing. And one of the most confusing things when it comes to memory is forgetting, because that's a really hard thing to get your head around and understand from a neuroscience perspective. Why do you forget? Is it a structural abnormality? Is it an adaptation? Um, where does it go? What, you know, where is a repressed memory? How would it come back if it's gone? Like all of these things. And so I see a lot of people like saying really fact like things about memory that are not, can't possibly be facts based on where we are. Um, 
here's some things that we do know. The hippocampus is the area in the brain that stores your long-term memories. And it stores them in chronological order and in order of meaning. And then each memory file has a narrative, emotional content, and then a bunch of meaning tags. And the reason that, that, that your brain stores things like that is because it makes facts easy to access. And it, the more facts you have, the more likely you are to survive. And so um, we also know that when you have a really significantly overwhelming experience, one of the areas of your brain that loses connectivity is the hippocampus. And so what ends up happening is that you get sort of a, a half memory or a fractured memory or a fragmented memory, memory that your brain doesn't really know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And so this is the source of most trauma symptoms is this sort of like this, this kind of memory in limbo that your brain wants to organize. So it keeps trying to push it to the front of your mind. Repressed memory is possible. It's very rare. So often, like I see people say, I don't remember anything before the age of five. All of my memories must be repressed. I must have trauma. And another thing that we know about the hippocampus is that it, it doesn't develop until usually about the age of seven, seven. It's like the, these numbers always move. It was five to seven and then seven to 10. So it's pretty normal not to have long-term memories from that early age. So when a memory is too overwhelming to process, the brain is going to make an adaptation. And that adaptation might look like a fragmented memory file or a hidden memory file. Okay. When a memory file gets hidden, it's really important for us to understand that there's a reason. And so the another kind of scary thing that I see is this impulse to go digging into your memories to find something that was hidden. Right. And if you do that under the wrong circumstances, that can be really harmful right? because your brain is hiding it because it's too overwhelming to process. Right. And so if you go do ayahuasca with some rando in LA to get to some hidden memory and there's not someone there who can help you integrate for the next several months, right? that can, um, that can be really, I've seen clients who are, have a whole new trauma because of that kind of experience. Okay. And again, that's not me saying that psychedelics are a bad idea. It's just that if you're going to use them, it's really important to do so with the right intention and in the right circumstance. Um, I don't know if that helps a lot. I just talked a lot. No, it does. It does. They seem, you know, I, you keep talking about the Pixar thing, which I think would be oh, huge. So fun. And, I know, <laughs> you know, but they seem they seem so elusive and, and mm -hmm. also the language around them is so yeah complicated and confusing. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I, I guess the key or, or the, what people need to focus on is what, what you do with the feelings, right? Yeah. Well, it's the whole memory file. Like, what do you do with the story? How do you tell the story? How do you handle the emotional content? And then what meaning are you going to assign to the thing that happened to you? Right. And so the when we talk about narrative therapy, one of the most powerful things you can do in your healing process is engage in some kind of narrative therapy where you tell the story to yourself. Um, and you're, what you're looking to do there is to integrate the story by adding coherence, emotional import, and meaning. And um, 
when you do that with someone who can help you bear some of the unbearable emotions and help you maybe write pieces of the story that you don't have access to, um, that can be incredibly healing. And from from a neurobiological perspective, you are every time you tell a story, you have to take an external perspective on it. Right. And every time you do that, you're recognizing and imprinting to your brain that the you telling the story is in the present and the story and the you that lived the story is in the past. And so you create this like really necessary distance between you and the and the story. Because the other thing that falls apart in the language of of trauma memories is that they're not really memories a lot of the time. They are these instances of reliving, but we use the same language that we use to talk about all all of our other kinds of memories. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's so it's I, I think there's also this thing that you, you know, when, when people try and um you know, unearth these, these memories, they're, mm-hmm. they're looking for more data, more, mm-hmm. um, you know, more proof that they, mm-hmm. um, for the pain when, that they're experiencing. A hundred percent that they went through something valid that's bad enough, quote unquote, to like, right. Be, yeah. Yeah. And that seems harmful and mm-hmm. completely unnecessary to me. Yeah, totally. So okay. it's not that, that the memories <laughs> like, you know, that they peek out and then hide and then, you know, peek out again. It's, it's that you're still in pain, you know, Mm -hmm. from the trauma, from whatever happened. I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong and that you haven't, and I'm not, I I'm just speaking globally. I'm not talking about the letter writer that Mm -hmm. you haven't fully um, come to terms with some aspects of what happened Mm -hmm. or how you felt about what happened. Yeah. So the they do peek forward and go back, but it's not the case that I think we like assign all of that work to the memory file and we're like the memory is peeking forward and the memory is, is fading back. And what's actually right. happening is that the memory is peeking forward because your brain wants you to integrate it, organize it. And then your system, the rest of your system, your fear center and your brain, your amygdala, all these other things respond to the memory as if it's happening in the present. And so right. they do the same shutdown that they did in the moment which makes it impossible to um, <clears throat> to process. So it's like the memory peaks forward and the system shoves it back, and then it which peaks forward. The, right, the adaptive, which is which is a good thing, which is helping you absolutely. Yeah, in the moment. Yeah, and can be the thing. Like it's this kind of irony where it's the thing that helps you and also is the thing that causes the symptoms. And so it's like this kind of tenuous thing. And so if we talk about the letter writer, the adaptation, you know, when you have any kind of chaos or pain or violence or sexual assault in your family of origin, the, the adaptation is to, going to try to get you to stay in your space and be safe, right? Mm-hmm. So the adaptation when you're five or six, you can't go out on your own at right. five or six. You can't do anything to get out of the situation or to fight the person who's doing that to you. And so what you do is adapt in a way that helps you continue to live in your home. Yeah. And that adaptation looks like forgetting. Sure. If if we don't look at this, then we don't have to face it. If we don't face it, then we can stay here. If we stay here, we'll be more likely to stay alive. Yeah. Because again, at five or six or even 14, right? You can't be out <laughs> go, on your own. Yeah. Right. So um, that adaptation makes a lot of sense. And then typically, and this is really, really tricky, these memories will come back in moments where your system does feel safe enough to process them. 
And from what the letter writer says, it sounds like she's got a life that is structured in such a way that she has a lot of external support. She has a therapist, she has great friends, she has a partner who is very attuned. And so it's possible that these memories came up in these moments where she finally like felt safe. She was out on her own. I think she said it was years and years later, right? Yeah. Yep. So um, again, that's another adaptation. Your brain, which is like, this is a miraculous, brilliant thing. Your brain is like, oh, you're safe now. You can finally look at this stuff. Let's look at this stuff. That doesn't mean that you have to or should share this with family members. And here's the, 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 the only piece of knowledge I think we even need in this story is the letter writer wrote, their response will not be beneficial to me. That is all you need to know. Right. Because the key part of, of narrative therapy is that you're narrating in a, in a relational home with mm-hmm. someone who is safe or someones who are safe and can attune to you. If your family can't attune to you, then that is not a place to take that story. I think so we it's get not a safe space. No, and I think we get this idea that like if I don't tell everyone, then I haven't healed. And that's not that's not necessarily helpful. I think if there's an I don't get a clear sense actually of of why the letter writer wants to tell. And I think this is really important. And the, so I think the letter, she, the, the episode that she was referring to actually wasn't the last one in the series that we just did, but the one before that, mm-hmm. which was about like, I don't want to share my trauma. I feel like I want to yeah. hide it or lie about it. Yeah. And she's not hiding or lying about it. She's telling people in her life, she's got therapy, she's doing EMDR. And so what is the benefit? What is the purpose? What is the intention behind telling your family? If you feel like that will be healing for you, even if it might cut off your relationship for them from them, then that is a, a healthy thing to do. Yes. If it's not going to help you, then there's no reason to tell them. It's not your responsibility to make it known to the rest of your family. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's also the, this, you know, and I think we all kind of suffer from, or a lot of people suffer from this on some level that you have to have a relationship with your family Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you don't. exactly. Nope. If they make you feel so awful that you have days where you have to recover, right? then it might be worth considering significantly reducing your exposure and, or no exposure at all. Right. To protect yourself and to protect what's moving forward. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need to explain why, and you don't need to tell anybody all the details, you know, like it's right. You, you come up with a sentence if you want, right? Like this relationship no longer serves me. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Which is difficult. That's a, it's a very hard thing to do. Oh, totally. Totally. And it's okay. Yeah. But I, I wonder if like, if some of these um, encounters with family are being sort of infused with this like question of like, am I going to tell them now? Am I going to tell them now? Oh, I, I couldn't tell them that, you know, like the, the question is looming. Right. And I think if you just decide like these are not like their response will not be beneficial to me, therefore I will not tell them. Right. Like that that's, a, that's totally within the realm of possibility. You do not have to tell them. Right. 
you have permission not to. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's this other weird thing, and I don't know exactly where this comes from, but like this comes up a lot in in dating. I'll see like clients will say, okay, so I've had sexual assault in the past. I want to date again. I need to tell all of my partners every single detail because they need to know exactly what happened so that they don't trigger me. And it's like, hold on. Number one, if you feel good telling those details and that's helpful for you, then that's part of your integration process and you should do that. However, don't get the idea that you owe everybody everything. Right. You don't, it's not your responsibility to make everybody feel like included in why you're having this trigger because you have to tell them every single detail of what went on. That might be re-traumatizing for you. So what you do there is figure out what you need to tell them. And a lot of the time it's a lot less than you think. So you could say, you know, I've had some experience in my past uh, that makes X, Y, and Z something I won't do. That's it. That should be enough. Yeah. It is enough. Yeah. Because you, it, it can also cross cross into a place where you're sharing in order to um, potentially change someone else's behavior, and that's mm-hmm. you're kind of putting it on them in a way instead of mm-hmm. doing the protecting yourself. Work. Yeah, 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 yeah. I the the vision that comes to mind is that you're like handing someone else the keys to say to for right. them to decide whether or not what you went through is legitimate. Exactly. And that that's, I see that with family stuff all the time. Like, you know, if you, what I'm, and she didn't offer any details about why their response would not be beneficial, but we can like imagine some examples. If they're going to deny that it happened, then you're handing them the keys and then they're taking away your autonomy. Yeah. And so how is that helpful in your integration process? If you know that's going to happen, then there's no, there's no need. You have a bunch of people in your life who are validating that that experience is real. Right. And you've done a tremendous amount of work and you've, you've come very, right. I, I mean. Right. And as the person who was harmed, it is not your responsibility to take that harm and explain it to every single person in your life. Right. That's too much of a burden. You've already had a big burden. You're doing right. this integration work that is lifelong. That's enough. Exactly. And stop. Right. Period. You don't have to like bring everyone in your life up to date. I think that's, do you know what I mean? Like that's such a weird it, this comes up with forgiveness too. Like we don't talk about like the person who did the harm. We talk about the person who was harmed and we're like, are you going to forgive them? Are you going to forgive them? Are you going to forgive them? Well, I don't right. know. Is this person going to apologize? Are they going to take any steps to change? Right. Why aren't we right. asking those questions? You know, right. it's like the person right. who was traumatized. It's like, what are you going to do about your triggers? What are you going to, how are you going to explain the story? Like, or the person who's traumatized forces themselves to be in a situation where they had every right to burn the fucking house down. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. say more. That's important. Like you, you, you had, you have every right to, mm-hmm. and and you've gotten to a place of forgiveness and that's great. And that's beautiful. But that doesn't mean you have to sit in this. Right. You know who you are. You've done a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You're strong. You've built good connections in your life. You have your own family. You mm-hmm. have people who care about you. You don't have to dip back into the place that almost killed you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Such a good point. 
And that may in fact be like the missing piece in your healing, because often what trauma needs once you've done all this like kind of urgent work where you've reorganized the memory and you've added coherence and meaning and all this stuff is that you need to give your nervous system the opposite experience. So the adaptation was trying to keep you in the home and the adaptation in some sense is still trying to keep you in the home. If I explain it to them in this way, then they'll understand and they'll validate me and then I can stay. Right. And it's like, no, your what your nervous system might might need is the permission to leave. Yeah. And to say, I at, you know, and we don't know the contours of this family system or like why she's still in in touch. So um there this could be infinitely more complicated than we know. But um think about giving yourself this is your permission slip from us to yeah. give yourself the opposite experience. Yeah. To enjoy the life that you've built. I love, there's like a little bit of shame in the, in the part of the letter where she's talking about, like, she had a couple of days where she's really off, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think like your system, it's like, if you eat something bad, your system is going to take a couple of days to like write it itself. Right. And you wouldn't shame yourself for that. It sucks. Like you, you don't want that to happen. Right. But your system is like doing what it needs to do. And so right. when you're going into the situation and you're encountering your family and your system is going to need to have that sort of like catharsis. And I love how you deal with that. And the fact that the people in your life are supportive of you. Yeah. You've created this beautiful environment for yourself mm-hmm. where you can yep. feel safe. Yep. And I get that you feel bad when you're irritated with your kids and things like that. But you can also like, again, without having to go into all the detail, you can explain to them, Mm -hmm. you know, I was feeling really overwhelmed. I'm really sorry that I got irritated. That's usually a sign to me that I need a rest, you know, like, and then that models for them what you do with overwhelming emotion. What? Well, that's that, that would be such a gift to your children. If you said that, Mm -hmm. my God. Yeah. Because Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that's our family system coming up (laughs) yeah i mean if if yeah if we had heard those words it would have it would have uh would have helped a lot yep i want to circle back to narrative memory just because i think this is so important um or narrative therapy when you so what a trauma memory wants is to be integrated and so if it's repressed or if it's uh coming up intrusively in either direction it wants to be organized And so the things you want to think about are coherence. Is there a beginning, middle, and end? Emotional import, right? Like, is there an an appropriate amount of emotion to go with that memory? Mm -hmm. And then meaning. And here's really where the empowering place comes. And this is tricky to talk about. But um, we don't get to decide what happens to us, but we do get to decide what those things mean. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to think of like what kind of meaning she could have to this story. It's really tricky with horrible things. But I think maybe the meaning is that here's what happened, beginning, middle, and end. Here are the emotions that are felt. And then the meaning is that my system takes me out when it needs to check me out of a situation. And that is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And that's also an adaptation that I want to keep an eye on because if I'm dissociating in a relationship, then that's a sign again from my system that something is awry. Right. Trusting your system, trusting your your own yeah. coping yep. mechanisms. Yeah. Celebrating them. Mm-hmm. 
and and yeah. and and just listening to them, turning to them, and, and being like, "I hear you. We need to get out of this situation. I don't even know rationally why yet, but we're going to do it." You know, trusting that. Yeah, because your body is a barometer, and it's giving you data all the time. And if you tune in and listen, it's always right. It is always right. And emotional import, like there are all of your memory files are supposed to have emotional content. And I say this all the freaking time, and I'm just going to say it again. Just because you're feeling a thing doesn't mean you haven't healed from the thing. It means you pulled out a memory file or a memory file was pulled out unwillingly that has emotional content in there. It's supposed right. to be there. It's never going to not. Right. And so like if we start talking about like dad's death, we're going to feel sad because you pull right. out a memory file that has sad in it. Right. If we pull it out and it and we feel nothing, that's actually a sign that the memory hasn't been integrated. That's a, that's hard. That's a lot. Yeah. Which part? Right. Just the whole like the idea, the whole um, how they can, you know, you pull it, the memory comes up and it can flatten you sometimes. Oh, and, totally. You know, and other times it can be a, a memory. And but I, I guess the the goal is to not punish yourself no matter what's happening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. And I just, I, I'm so suspicious of this, like, you know, and we could talk about this forever, but this like impulse to, um, analyze the memories or, you know, try and dig up more stuff or, mm-hmm. you know, like, right. Yeah. I think I the suspicion, I'm just thinking this right now, but I think the suspicion is well founded. And I think it comes from the fact that underneath all that digging is this question of like, was it really that bad? Yeah. Go searching. Was yeah. it really that? Like it's 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 like it's not coming from like a growth validation space. It's coming from like a judgmental, yeah, minimizing space. Hey, right, right. Where you get the data and then you're like, oh well, so and so had it much worse, right? You weren't alive during the Holocaust, and it's like, well, Jesus, like, right? It it's not it that that pull does not have pure intentions. Exactly. Exactly. It's demonic. <laughs> it's, it is. It's, and yeah, yeah, it is demonic. It's compulsion. And I get it. Like, I think like we, when, when you can feel this in your brain, like when you're watching a TV show and there's like a, a hook at the end and you know, you're, it's the last episode you're going to watch that night and you're not going to know how it, how it finishes until tomorrow whenever you watch it again. That's annoying. Yeah. And your brain will like do all, all this work to try to figure it out. Yeah. In the meantime, because it doesn't like an unsolved thing. Right. And so like I get that compulsion, but just because you have it doesn't mean you should like lean into it. Right. Memories right. will come up when they are supposed to and they will hide when they are supposed to. Right. We don't need to dig. Our our systems are amazingly adaptive. It's a literal miracle. And it's not the data, it's the feeling. It's not, it's not, right? It's the... What do you mean? Well, I feel like the the memory, like, they can be wrong. And not not the letter writer, but they can be, yeah. you know... Oh, they are so often wrong. We are so unreliable. They Our are, memories are so unreliable. It's like kind of amazing. I'm listening to this thing and I'm, I'm sorry, I just have to get off topic for a minute. It's a, the new Serial podcast and... um I didn't know there was one. Yeah, there is. It, I have to like, cancel the rest of my day. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. But it, it's there's a lot about memory and how inaccurate. What's it about? Be. It's called The Oldest Case in Laramie. Okay. 
I'm not done yet, but um, it's uh, it's it's excellent. But but the, what I was just listening to before we you know started recording was this um, the idea that that memory can be inac- inaccurate and yeah, you know, and I'm not speaking to the letter writer at all. I'm just saying like it there. Oh yeah, yeah. We dig and we dig and we dig and we dig and we try and recover these things and then we commit them to commit to them and mm-hmm. you know it's not always. Mm-hmm. reliable yeah or necessary and the, right and the the emotional content is the thing that you need trauma memories in particular are are also weird because they're often like crystallized in a way that other memories are not and yeah. so sometimes we get this idea and there have been court cases about this actually about people's trauma memories being um, unreliable and therefore like inadmissible and what's actually more likely is that they are more crystal and more reliable than the rest of your memories right because right. your brain is like, oh shit, we've got, you know, we, something dangerous happened. We have to imprint this and, and clearly imprint it. But because it's a fragmented memory, it's hard to know like what the missing pieces are, what to do with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. But yeah, our, our memories are, are, are unreliable. And part of the reason for that is because your hippocampus is not like an endless space. And so your, your memory, there's uh, memory consolidation is happening all the time. And what that looks like, this is why I want the Pixar film is that like that these little file dudes are in the back of, in your brain, like, and they're putting files together. They're like, oh, these two are basically the same. This dream and this thing that happened in fourth grade are kind of the same. Let's put them together. And like this other thing, like that thing you learned in Spanish class, like we don't need that anymore. So let's throw it away. And so like stuff gets deleted and changed. And like, we, we take that to mean that we are crazy and it's, that's not at all true. Right. Like again, in all of these cases, your brain is doing what it's supposed to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are you thinking? I'm I'm talking about myself too much. I'm sorry. No, but like memory has been like my thing this week. That's so funny. My husband met with um, a, a, a financial person mm-hmm. and they had this meeting and he came home and he um, got an email from the person and he forwarded me the email and I saw the name on the bottom of the email and I'm like, I know this part. Like, I know this name. Uh, yeah. I know this name. This is like familiar to me. So I Googled and I very quickly came up with how I knew this person and I knew this person 30 years ago. Oh, wow. And all I know is that this is not a good person. Like, Oh, wow. And I can tell you, like, I can tell you the room I was in when yeah. I had the thought that yeah. this is not a good person. Yeah. But I can't remember the circumstances as to why, how I got that, to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I have decided, you know, because I'm listening to this podcast, that that is enough information for me. A hundred percent. All I know, and I trust myself that this is not a good person. Yep. I can't remember the details of why I came to that, Doesn't but, and, and it was just like, oh my God, like, yeah. and I, I did, you know, I, I've had this like internal dialogue. I started to beat myself up a little bit like, well, you know, you know, it was 30 years ago and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, maybe you need some more information and, you know, maybe it'll come up and maybe you'll remember the details. But then I was like, no, let it go. You, you have everything you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. And like, th- like this is the takeaway. Stop fighting the adaptation. Exactly. Because the, what's happening is that in, for whatever, 30 years ago, your system recognized danger. Yes. 
And it's not, we don't have to say like, this is a bad person or a good person or whatever the hell, or like talk about what they recognize danger. Exactly. Right. Right. So like it is, it is now recognizing and it filed that away and said, just like it would have like in a, in a more primitive way of life, that mushroom is deadly. Right. Right. And in the, in the, like back then you wouldn't like talk to yourself and be like, well, maybe it is like, I don't want to like label the mushroom and let me try it again. Because, you know, like you would just be like, nope, deadly. Right. Right. When your system imprints danger, it's doing so because it is sophisticated and miraculous. Yes. Yeah. And celebrate that. Yeah. Just listen to it. Just stop fighting. Like then we end up in all sorts of weird situations. And are you right? Are you wrong? It doesn't matter. But like your nervous system will be better off if you start listening to it. And I don't need more information. No. You know, this isn't a court case. This is, this is, is, (laughs) whether you're going to work with this person or whatever. Right. Right. So anyway, I'm sorry. I don't mean to talk about myself. No, that's a great, that's a great example. It's, it's yeah. So, and, and we, you know, we didn't say this before, but I'm also, I really feel for the letter writer and and what they've been through. And again, like want to like celebrate the amount of incredibly hard work you've done to build the life, just as you said a minute ago that you have. and. Um, if I had, if I could wave a magic wand, I would just like delete these people from your life. Yes. So that you can enjoy that. Yeah. And please use it as an opportunity to say to your kids, you Mm -hmm. know, what Max said earlier, like I, I, I had a a tough day and I'm going to, I'm a little overwhelmed and I'm going to take that will be incredible for them. Yep. It models to them what it, what a healthy relationship to your emotional life looks like. Right. Which is right. a critical life skill. Yes. Okay. Do you have a tiny little joy? Um, I do. It's mine are getting smaller and smaller, which I, I which is fine. That's the point, right? <laughs> My tiny little joy is the when you like <laughs> completely like uh, finish like the shampoo bottle or the, or the moisturizer or something like when you use a product to like completion and yep. you can like throw it away. I, I don't know. I have like a sense of accomplishment when I do that. <laughs> like to not, And then, you know, you get a new one. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I had a, a doctor in Virginia who said to me, we were talking about like going on vacation and she said, I, I like to wait till there's only like a little bit left in the bottle. And then I bring the bottle on vacation. I was like, oh, I can like totally get behind that. Like <laughs> that is right up my alley. <laughs> that is so smart. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so it's silly, but it's, um, I don't know. I get a kick out of it. Like I, I use that. I, I, it served its purpose. It's, um, I enjoyed it and it's done. Instead I love that. Walking away from something midstream, I guess. I love Maybe. that. Silly. No, it's such a, that's such a, like, I, I think they should be small. They started the, the concept of, of tiny little joy. I know I've talked about this before, kind of started by accident. And I didn't even realize it until years and years and years later, but it was after dad died and I would be like in the, you know, being hit by these waves of grief. Have you watched shrinking yet? I don't think so. No. Okay. You have to watch that. Oh, the Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I love yeah. that. I didn't finish it yet. I love that. Yeah. The, um, there's a thing in the, this is not giving anything away, but there's like a thing about grief. The, one of the psychologists recommends like sitting down for 15 minutes and just letting the wave hit you. Yeah. And I, so I was thinking back to like when that used to happen, I would come home from work and just like lie on the floor and like wail, you know, yeah. and like, and then there would be something that showed up as like this, like little tiny anchor point. And it was always really fucking small. 
Yeah. Like the way the light came in the room or, you know, like these tiny little things. And I didn't really think about it consciously until the pandemic started Mm -hmm. and everything was so dark and it was just like, okay, these tiny little things. Oh, wait, there's still these tiny little things. Oh, wait, people are making ridiculously hilarious videos on TikTok. Like, Like there are still tiny little things. They are so, um, so small and mighty, you know, it's like when you take everything else away or yeah, when you're in this place, yeah, it's, um, you're open to that. Yeah. You're open yeah. to those little things. Yeah. When you and eliminate so, a lot of the noise. Yeah. They're so pure. Yeah. I got mine. Mine is funny. It's, um, so I've been trying to do, I have an aura ring and it measures your restoration time, which is like when your body, when your nervous system is actually like in rest and digest, the parasympathetic nervous system comes on. I have none of it. I have no restoration time. I never rest, which is really bad for your body. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean I'm just working all, I mean, I'm working a lot, but it means like when I am resting, I'm not resting. Your heart rate's not low. Like you're, yeah, you're, you're not, your system is not at rest ever. And so um, that's not a tiny little joy. That's like, okay, you need to work on this. Your body is giving you signals. And so I've been trying to, I've been keeping this really meticulous log. Have I told you this? No. Of like what I'm doing at every moment and then watching on the, on the thing, on the app, like when, what feels like safety to me. And one of the things weirdly was like cooking and baking, which I don't, I don't even think I like that. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Weird. Which again, makes total sense because you're pushing all your blood flow and electrical activity to your prefrontal cortex. So you can't be afraid. So your system is going to calm down. So I've been like slowly, like kind of upping my game a little bit in terms of like cooking and trying to just do it more. And, um, I got a mandolin. Oh, careful. I know it's a safe one, Okay, okay. but it is like hilarious amount of joy that I get (laughs) from making like the paper thin, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like you want to make slaw. So you're going to put the, make the cabbage really thin or like little carrot slices or jicama sticks or whatever the hell. Um, and it's just like, I feel like a little kid, like in the kitchen being like, whoa, 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 whoa. that's good. Little things. It's great. That's good. Yeah. That's funny. You said that because when we started to talk about cooking, you were like, I hate it. I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> well, I had this weird thing where I like lived in cities and never, number one, never had a kitchen. And two, like, you just don't really cook when you're living alone in a city. Like you just right. go out you all the time or you get taken yeah. out. Right. Um, and so I just, I kind of like sailed through my twenties, never doing it. And then it was just like, okay, this might be a thing to learn how to do. If you want to eat something other than chicken nuggets. (laughs) It's so like, it's creative and it's, it's, it's nourishing and it's self care and it's, it it can be a lot of things. It can be a real drag sometimes too, but it's, um, it can be, I, I, I love chopping things. I I I know why. Yeah. My friend Tracy, who runs the um, podcast Shutterbean, she's a food blogger. Everybody check it out. She's fabulous. She has a little segment called Chop Therapy on her Instagram stories and she'll have like videos of her chopping and she does oh, a lot really? of meal prep. Yeah. Yeah. Should do like lessons, like how to do an onion and stuff? Oh, she should. I don't know if yeah. she does that. I should tell her I'll that. Sh- tell, ask her to do that, please. But or she has great, re- okay. <laughs> <laughs> she has great recipes and, um, and, and plans and like ideas for like, okay, how do I fill my pantry? Like, what does it mean to have a full pantry? She'll have like a list of like, here's all the things you need to get. And yeah, here are the things you can make if you have these four things in your, in your kitchen. Like, it's great. I love that. You know who yeah. else is really good is the minimalist baker. Oh, I don't know that one. Check that one out because a, a lot of times she'll be like, you only need one bowl. You know, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm sold. Like, right. 
or yep. there's limited grain and a lot of it's gluten-free. It's good. Oh, great. So yeah, the mandolin is my tiny little joy. That's fun. You make pretty little vegetables. Yeah, totally. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Um, please rate, review, subscribe. And um, another just kind of shameless plug, my book, Unbroken, The Trauma Response is Never Wrong, came out. I would love it if you bought it. Um, I would love it even more if you review it on Amazon. This is how books get into the mainstream. And I want this book to get to as many people as possible because I think it helps. It definitely helps. It's a beautiful book. Oh, thank it's you. important. So rate, review, subscribe, rate our podcast, and then buy the book and and go rate that. And I know that's a big ask, but uh, just do it. Thanks. <laughs> Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.